Welcome to Insight into Teaching Intro Psychology, a McGraw-Hill informative audio series. These podcasts feature subject matter experts, instructors, and authors discussing psychology-related topics in higher education. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another summer episode of the Insight into Teaching Intro Psych podcast. My name is A.J. LaFerrera. I am one of the marketing managers on the psychology team here at McGraw-Hill, and today, We've got a really exciting topic and guest speaker. Uh, we're joined by Greg Price, who is both a McGraw-Hill author and an intro psych instructor, and we will be tackling eight ways to help your intro psych students build critical thinking skills. So, Greg, welcome to the podcast. Want to take a minute to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Yeah, my name is Greg Price. As AJ just said, I, I'm an author, intro psych, as well as theories of personality. And I also am the coordinator at San Jose State University for Intro Psych. And then I also um, teach a seminar, a, a senior seminar in, in critical thinking. All right. So we're going to tackle the eight ways that you're helping Intro Psych students build critical thinking skills. And I think the easiest way to do this, Greg, is probably just to use the Intro Psych curriculum as a way to walk through these. So as you get started, Chapter 1, What's the first thing you're doing to help your students build those skills? Well, on day one, after I introduce the class and the structure of the class, I jump right into one of the primary themes that we will be uh, considering throughout the semester is this idea of learning to challenge your assumptions. And that phrase is, is an important one. In fact, it's actually used throughout every, every chapter of the book we start off with uh, challenging your assumptions. We have five or six basic ideas that are sometimes common sense, sometimes things that people might believe, and we ask them whether they think they're true or false. And uh, sometimes they're true, sometimes they're false, but they're usually surprising. And, and so that's a tool we use to challenge assumptions in every chapter of the book. In higher education, you know, it's really about learning how to think more than learning per se, it's learning how to learn and learning how to think. And so not believing everything you think and challenge your assumptions are just very kind of clear ways to, to make that critical thinking skill clear and to try to develop that skill. So that's the first way. And then the second way, uh, what we do is we discuss the components of critical thinking after we kind of get into those bigger concepts. So, okay, now that we've talked about challenging your assumptions, well, what does critical thinking mean? It's kind of an overused phrase sometimes, but, but what does it actually mean to think critically? And really what it comes down to is a very simple question, and that is asking yourself, well, how do you know that? And then ultimately asking, how do I know that? What made me believe that? What, what made me come to that conclusion? And sometimes by just asking that, you can realize, oh, okay, I just, because I believe it, or someone told me, well, okay, but but maybe that's not, you know, how do they know that? So you just get into that, and that really is a, a good setup for discussing uh, how to implement critical thinking, and in, in not only in school, but in everyday life. And then getting into the, some of the components of critical thinking of, like, how to analyze information, how do we evaluate it, and how do we interpret it? What conclusions do we draw? So that's steps one and two. Great. So it sounds like early on, you're defining it and you're setting up a structure to address it throughout. As you move into Chapter 2 on research methods, what are the ways that you are addressing critical thinking in this area? 
Well, so this would be the third thing I do, which is uh, I, I get into first in Chapter 2 the nature of science. You know, and that's a topic that I, I like. I've, I've actually done some research in the psychology of science and what is science and so on. So, you know, people talk about science and so on, but it really comes down to uh, a very fundamental issue, which is that science and scientists are separating what they believe from the evidence. And that is, it, we all have ideas. We all have explanations. Uh, we start off with it. But a scientist will start with that explanation and see it as a testable idea. Whereas a lot of non-scientists, they have an explanation and they are satisfied with that. They don't go any further. But scientists will then test that hypothesis or idea, and they learn how to do that. So that's the essence of science, really, is separating what we believe from the evidence. And so that's skepticism and so on and so forth. Then we get into, well, okay, if that's science, there's a lot of other people out there, like people who believe in things like astrology or UFOs or you know, that the Earth is really only 6,000 years old. But that's ultimately really uh, pseudoscience. That it pretends to be science, science, but it's really false science, pseudoscience. And so I get into there what is pseudoscience and how it's different from science. And, for instance, pseudoscience really doesn't progress. If you look at it over the long term, they're really talking about the same thing 30, 40 years uh, ago that they, were, that they are now. They also use faulty logic. They're not internally skeptical. That is that they don't challenge their own assumptions, which is a core component of science. And then finally, they ignore and dismiss known facts. And so that's pseudoscience, and it's different from science. And so just because someone claims to be doing science doesn't make it so. So that's the third way I bring in critical thinking into the class. And then the fourth way is to evaluate and talk about uh, how we evaluate the evidence through scientific methodology. And we get into, well, what is the scientific method? What makes something a good study versus a bad study? And then what makes something valid versus invalid conclusions based on those studies? And the stronger the study, the better the conclusion. Uh, and we kind of make that clear. And again, just because you see a headline uh, summary of a study doesn't mean you can believe it. You have to go in and ask, well, how did they do that? How did they come to that conclusion? And uh, that's really the essence of, of understanding the scientific method. So that's the fourth way. Great. So we've gone through four ways, Greg, that you are building critical thinking skills with your interest psych students. We're now on the neuroscience chapter, so I have to imagine there is uh, something that you're doing in there to help your students build critical thinking skills. Well, this is actually one of my favorite things because we kind of step up in perspective here, and we now talk about how science operates to challenge the assumptions of other scientists. And so to me, two of the most exciting advances in the last 30 or 40 years in, in psychology and neuroscience is the discovery that neurons are not hard and fast and that they actually do grow. Uh, it's called neuroplasticity with development, that our brain is actually, especially in parts of the brain involved in learning and memory, are actually being affected by what we learn and what we experience. And that was something the field didn't think was possible 30, 40 years ago, and now we know that's not the case. So that overturned that assumption. And the second one is this idea that genes, that the genetic foundation, you know, the genome that we are born with, 
is also not set in stone. There's also what we call epigenetic effects, and that is that genes get turned on and off by our experiences, what we experience after we're born. And so, you know, that's ultimately, for instance, even what, you know, cancers, if we take, get exposed to certain things and we develop cancer, well, that's actually because genes got affected by that experience. So, so that's another challenge that, that really turned basic assumptions in science upside down. So that's what I like about Chapter 3 is that it allows me to then show how challenging assumptions is very important, not only in a, what we learn as students, but also how science operates. Sounds like early on in your class, Greg, you are introducing a lot of ways for students to build those critical thinking skills. As we move from those initial couple of chapters into later parts of the curriculum, what are some of the other ways that you are helping students build those critical thinking skills? Well, and then later on we move into things like learning and memory and perception and sensation and so on. And so one of the things that I get into uh, especially by the uh, reasoning chapter, uh, for instance, is start talking about more specifically about fact versus opinion, you know, as a, as a reasoning tool. You know, we all talk about facts, so oh, that's a fact versus an opinion. Well, what does that really mean? And there's a simple test. It's called the who's test. So this is good for students to, to think about, which is you can ask the question, whose opinion? And that makes sense, you know, because opinions by definition are personal. But when we ask the question, who's fact, that really kind of doesn't make sense because facts are impersonal. Facts don't belong to people. And so if someone says, if they make some radical argument that ultimately is an opinion, and you say, I think that's, I think that's actually opinion, and they say, well, no, it's fact. And you say, well, whose fact? Is that, is that your fact? Uh, and so, anyway, getting to that question of, of distinguishing or, or realizing that fact is impersonal, it doesn't belong to people, uh, and opinions do, I think is very important skill for students to, to realize when they're thinking about information or debating some topic with other, other people. Facts are impersonal and, and, and opinions are not. Great. So how about our sixth? way that you're helping students build critical thinking skills. These days, uh, one of the hot and most important topics of all is learning that the information we receive, especially on the internet, may or may not be true. And we've all been duped by fake news, fake videos, fake photos, you know, and just knowing that now that is out there is, is the first step in, in identifying it. You know, I think a few years ago, even Facebook was kind of denying that they were, that this existed, and now they realize that it does. But uh, getting into what is fake news, what is a fake photo, and now there's this thing called deep fake videos, which I was just recently learning about, which is that videos can now be made, people can use famous people, and they have to be pretty well known, to make them say anything. So you can get any politician or any actor to say anything. And uh, so anyway, so getting students to really understand and identifying fake news and fake photos and fake videos is a very, very important, and I would argue ultimately uh, going to be even more important in years to come. So that's the sixth way. And then the seventh way is, is realizing that we all, even people who are educated, unfortunately fall prey sometimes to faulty reasoning. 
we commit fallacies. Uh, and a fallacy is just a false reasoning. Like a non sequitur, we say something that really doesn't follow. Or we attack people personally. So, you know, if we don't like what they're saying, we say, oh, you're just a liar. You know, that's an ad hominem. Or we commit confirmation bias. We only look for and, and pay attention to information that confirms what we already believe, and we dismiss information that challenges us. And then there's this thing called motivated reasoning, which is that when we get information that is consistent with what we believe, we tend to accept it. And when we get information that contradicts what we already believe, we dismiss it, so we reason about it differently. We become really critical of information that challenges us. And so one of the ideas of becoming a critical thinker is realizing what your biases are and trying to be more balanced in how we reason evidence, especially the evidence that does challenge our assumptions. Instead of just dismissing it immediately, standing back and saying, well, okay, again, how do we know that, rather than just dismissing it out of hand. And then lastly, number eight, and this is fascinating, is we think that our memories are pretty accurate for the most part and pretty objective, but in fact they're really not. They're really reconstructions of events and they're ever-changing. In fact, actually, every time you remember something, it changes that memory. Uh, and just understanding that is an important step in realizing that, just again, just because we remember something doesn't make it true. Uh, and then also understanding that there is that we can only pay attention to one thing really at once, that our attention is really selective, and that we ignore things that we, uh, again, that don't kind of confirm or what we like and, and, and our own personal experiences. So we're blind to all kinds of things that are happening, and that's where multitasking, uh, the idea that we can multitask is ultimately challenged, that we really can't, and we only pay attention to one thing at a time. So. Memory and attention are, are the eighth ways that I really try to bring in critical critical thinking. Well, Greg, thank you for walking us through eight ways that you help your introspect students build critical thinking skills. Uh, we know that there are lots of ways that everybody's doing this out there. We'd love to hear from you guys. So if you have any really great examples, feel free to write us, let us know. Uh, we'd love to share them with everyone that's listening. So. Uh, once again, Greg, thank you, and everybody that is listening, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Thank you, AJ. I enjoyed it. This has been a McGraw-Hill production. Thank you for listening.